0: Good morning, everyone. My name's Obed, and I'm one of the pastors um, here at this church. As always, thank you um, for being here this morning. We are here um, not not because we like each other. I mean, that's part of it. Um, But we are here specifically to worship and adore and lift up the name of Jesus. And some of the ways we do that during our service is through our i um, singing, and so we've had an opportunity to sing songs that teach us about Jesus. Um, and next, we are going to lift up the name of Jesus through the preaching of his word. And so, if you have a copy of your Bible, whether it's a physical hard copy, it's my preference, or it's on your phone, Um, digital devices. Um, If if it's on your phone, um, take it out, turn to Ecclesiastes, the book, or click to it, click, turn, whatever, to the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are in chapter six, chapter six, and we're going to be doing a whole of chapter six. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, the whole of chapter, yeah, we are. It's only 12 verses. Um, You're fine. I'm going to read, and do your best to follow along as I read. And how we like to honor this reading, this time of reading God's word, is to stand. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Verse three: If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his life are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he is and he has he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness. And in darkness, it's his name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. Verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what shall be after him under the sun? You may be seated. Let's pray. God. As always, we want to experience you this morning. We want our emotions and our intellect to be staggered by you in a way that leaves us in awe of who you are and what you've done. And so, God, we ask this not in our name, not in our righteousness, but we are asking to experience experience you in ways that transform us in the name of your beloved son, Jesus. Amen. I vaguely remember, I'm getting old, so I'm losing my memory. I vaguely remember a time in my life where I desperately wanted a bicycle. And the reason for this was someone had stolen my uh, my beloved bike, and as a result, I was distraught, and I longed for a new bike, so... I can go riding through the streets of London with my friends. I, back then, I truly, genuinely believed a new bike would authentically satisfy me. And so, I eventually got a new bike and I got to ride through the streets with my friends. And after doing that several times, after experiencing what it was like to ride my new bike through the streets with all of my friends, that experience, that euphoria I experienced didn't last. As much as I cherished my new bike over time, it wasn't as valuable as it was at first. This same kind of routine happened when I first stepped into college, Um, was a multimedia student, so I did some film, I wanted to be a film director, and I was excited to embark on this new course to discover how I can be the next Steven Spielberg. Not a joke. (laughs) You're laughing. So my dream was to graduate. And if I graduated and I started my directing career, I would be truly satisfied. I got to experience life as a director, not on the level of Steven Spielberg, but um, I got to experience that and while I was at college, I just wanted to graduate, get through college, I did that. After college, I said I'd love to get a job at a TV channel and be a host. I got that job. Um, After getting that job and settling and growing up and becoming a man, I said I'd love to get married to the most beautiful woman in the world. I did. (laughs) And after that, I got married year and a half after I got married, I said, I want to be a pastor. I want to be able to start a church one day and communicate God's truth and help people understand how you know, Jesus is um, the all-satisfying individual that they need. And by God's grace, I've been able to experience this as well. The interesting thing is, before attaining all of these goals, I genuinely thought that as long as I fulfilled these things, I would have lasting joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment. But I have come to realize that nothing in this world really, truly satisfies us. This is not an Obed problem only. This is a human problem. We get what we thought we wanted, and we enjoy it for a little while, But it's not long before the very thing we dreamed of having becomes less appealing and something else becomes more appealing. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 is said to be, listen to this, one of the darkest chapters in the Bible. Welcome to church. The preacher begins this chapter in this way. Look at verse 1. He says, okay, look at verse 1. He says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. What does this mean? What is he talking about? This basically means that he's lived long enough to observe some gnarly things in this world, okay? And he's saying one of the most seriously tragic things that he's seen that makes him sick even to think about is the fact that satisfaction... It's actually not guaranteed here on this earth. And to him, this dilemma of uh, we can't really attain full and lasting satisfaction with things in, on this earth makes him sick even to think about it. And so he describes it as an evil. That I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. And he just doesn't just state it. What he does next is he shares several scenarios to actually prove his point. Okay? So he's like, I've seen some gnarly things, and this is one of the most tragic things in this world. Makes me sick thinking about it. And here are these things. If you're making notes, what we're going to be looking at this morning is the whole idea of satisfaction is not guaranteed, okay? And so first, satisfaction is not guaranteed even if you have everything, okay? Look at verse 2. It says, A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. So the preacher begins by sharing a story of this man who has everything. He's wealthy, and because of his great wealth, it says he lacks nothing of all he desires. What does this mean? Everything he's ever wanted, he has Okay, he has his dream home in his desired location. He has every car he's ever wanted the make, the model, the color, the specifics. I like to go into the Tesla store at UTC. Okay, and I just like to walk in there. I like how they react to me, especially when I start speaking. They're like, Okay, he can buy something here with that accent. And so I like going in there. <laughs> I, I generally go in there and I like talking to them. And one thing I discovered that you can walk in, buy a Tesla and there's a crazy amount of specifications you can do to the car, right? And the more you add, the more expensive it is. And so imagine, right, this man having everything and being able to have everything. He walks into the Tesla store. He's not buying one or two, he's buying five, right? And he's able to specify it. In the way he wants, he's a successful businessman who continues to reap sizable profits from his investments. And the thing is, there's nothing he does not have that he cannot have. If he wakes up one day and says, hey, I want to fly to Paris, right, and have my favorite meal at my favorite restaurant, his entourage will make it happen. This man has everything he could ever want, and if he wants something he does not have, he has the resources and the connections to get it. Imagine being in the same position as this man. Just imagine. Imagine being so wealthy, you could have everything you wanted. Imagine being able to eat at whatever restaurant you wanted, whenever you wanted. I'm obsessed with pokeballs at the moment. It's my new obsession. And every day I wake up, I want a pokeball. But that desire is a problem because I don't have a budget for a pokeball whenever I want it. And so the other day I was, "I really want a pokeball, but my budget doesn't allow for it." And I thought to myself, "Man, if I was wealthy, I'd not only buy a Pokeball whenever I want, I'd buy the restaurant." <laughs> Imagine being so wealthy you could have everything you wanted. Imagine not having to settle for an old car constantly breaks down. Imagine not having to wake up early in the morning for work. If money wasn't an issue and you could have whatever you desired, what would life be like for you? Would you be happy? Would you find ultimate satisfaction? Is satisfaction guaranteed for the person who has everything, who lacks nothing of all that they desire? The preacher in Ecclesiastes, and the preacher, by the way, if you hear me saying the preacher, and you're new, the preacher is the brainchild and the author behind Ecclesiastes, and so the preacher's like, no! There is nothing... In this world that can truly satisfy you. And the question is why? Look at verse 2. Again, it says, A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God, and it says, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. This is grievous evil. And so God has given this man everything. He lacks nothing. He has everything. But the tragedy is God does not give him power to enjoy what he has. Instead, look at what it says. Someone else, a stranger, a foreigner, someone he doesn't even know, ends up enjoying his wealth. And so the preacher's like, This is crazy. And he describes it as a grievous evil. (laughs) This is so interesting, right? This makes sense. Why? Preachers describe it as a grievous evil. Why? Listen to this. Like, think about the wording here, right? It says, God gives someone what they want, but at the same time, it says God prevents them from enjoying what he's given them. Why would God give us gifts but not allow us to enjoy those gifts? Doesn't sound like the good and gracious God, does it? We read about in the Bible... This has so many layers, right? We're talking about God being sovereign and in control of everything. When I say God being sovereign, that means he's in control of everything. That also means that everything that takes place in your life, right, Um, God is somehow involved in it, okay? Like, this is... Interesting, and this is going to come up over and over again in Ecclesiastes, and we will get helpful answers to this question throughout Ecclesiastes, but for now, okay, for now, let's remain focused on the main point the preacher is trying to get across here, and this is what he's trying to get across to you, me, everyone, person sitting next to you. If you're online, we have like, I don't know how many people watch online, but like, five um that's fine that means you're all here and in person okay this is the point it's possible to have anything and everything your heart desires except the ability to enjoy those things let me say that again. It's possible to have anything and everything your heart desires except for the ability to enjoy those things. And as I said that, some of you were nervously nodding and agreeing. It's true. Having everything your heart desires does not guarantee you'll be completely satisfied. An unfortunate circumstance could prevent you from enjoying it, right? Um, (laughs) When Eleanor and I got married, my wife is awesome, yeah? She loves to travel, okay? That's one of the things she loves the most, okay? Grew up traveling the world all of that, and so when we got married, she was incredibly excited for us to go on our honeymoon. Okay, and and she had booked our honeymoon just planned through. She knew where she was going to go on honeymoon, like when she was ten. You know, it was like I know where we're going. Um, we're going to Malaysia, and so she booked it, got the right deals. We got you know it's our honeymoon. We splashed out on it, um, and everything. Just excited to go, and so. She's excited more than me because I'm not a traveler, okay? When I'm going to the airport, I'm miserable. When she's going to the airport, she's like giddy, okay? That's the difference. So, <laughs> so we go on our honeymoon, she's super excited, but something awful happens on our honeymoon. She gets seriously sick. Yeah, on our honeymoon. And as a result, she wasn't able to enjoy it as much as she wanted. For this man in this story, we're told who's ultimately behind his inability to enjoy his wealth, God. But we're not told exactly the circumstances that prevented him from his enjoying his wealth, okay? Could have been weighty responsibilities of managing his fortune. Could have been a natural disaster happened that kind of destroyed everything and took away his wealth. Could have been health issues that could have being what prevented him from enjoying his wealth and possessions, whatever it was, it sounds like this man encountered a tragedy, some sort of unfortunate situation that prevented him from enjoying his wealth and possessions and honor. You are susceptible to this experience. It's possible for you to have anything and everything your heart desires except the ability to enjoy those things. Satisfaction is not guaranteed even if you have everything your heart desires. I know there are a bunch of questions circulating through some of your minds now, okay? You're thinking, if I had everything, my life would improve, right? I could, you know, be able to get a new car whenever I want and go here and eat at pokey restaurants every time. You're saying that, and there are some benefits to having everything you want, but... Think about the many wealthy people out there in the world and if you had an opportunity to sit with them and get to know them, you would discover that they're not as satisfied as they appear to be. Satisfaction is not guaranteed, even if you have everything your heart desires, because who knows? You could find yourself in an early situation that takes it all away from you, just like the man being described in verse two. But what if the opposite happens? Okay let's think of it. what if the opposite happens what if the man in this story doesn't encounter a tragedy that causes him to lose everything so that a stranger enjoys it instead of him what if he lives long he lives a long healthy and wealthy life will he be satisfied at the end of his long, wealthy, healthy life. This is what the preacher addresses next. We've seen that satisfaction is not guaranteed if you have everything, but we're going to see that satisfaction is not guaranteed even if you live long and healthy life. Look at verse 3. It says, If a man fathers a hundred children a hundred (laughs) children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many. Stop there. What's the best life anyone in our culture could live in our our modern world? What's the best life? Think about it now. When you think of a life well-lived, What kind of life do you think about? When you get to the end of your life, how would you like to be remembered? What's the best possible life you could live that would give you the most satisfaction at the end of your life? ask this same question to someone in the ancient world and in Old Testament times, without a doubt, they would say the best life someone could live is to have lots of children and live for many years. In those days, the more kids you had and the longer you lived, the more blessed you were. Philip Ryken says this, Ecclesiastes does not tell us how wealthy this man was, but in a culture that rightly considered children to be a blessing from the Lord, he had fathered a hundred sons and daughters. And so we could say that this man was blessed, okay? If he had an Instagram account, I reckon there'll be a picture on his account that had him, right, sitting in his old age with all of his kids around him. And there would be a caption that said, hashtag blessed. Okay, that's what you would see. So this man being described in verse three was the epitome of a man whose life was full of blessing he lived the best possible life anyone could live he was the envy of the many men in his culture and so what we should assume that he'll be happy should we assume that he's the most blessed guy ever would he be happy not really Look at verse 3 again. It says, If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, he, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than, of the, than he. Okay? Like I said, this man is the epitome of what it means to be blessed. But it says his soul is not satisfied with life's good things and to add salt to the wound of the dissatisfaction he felt in his soul it says he didn't even receive the honor of a decent burial We don't know why his body was left unburied. Maybe he died in battle or his family just didn't like him. I don't know. But whatever the reason, the fact that he has no burial would have led many people to conclude that he was under the curse of God. This is another stark reminder that a person can have the things men dream of, which in Old Testament terms meant many children and a long life, and still depart unnoticed and dissatisfied with life. This guy's life is so sad, so devastating, and so tragic, the preacher concludes that it would have been better if he wasn't even alive. Look at the last part of verse 3. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. And so the question is, why is a stillborn child better off than the man? Look at verse 4 and 5. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not even seen the sun or known anything yet yet it finds rest rather than he. Philip Riken again says, as he, the preacher, thinks about the hypothetical situation, the preacher entertains the thought of non-existence. A person can have everything that life has to offer and still be miserable, but if we are so unhappy with, with life, then maybe we would be better off never having lived at all. Put simply, if we cannot enjoy life, Why bother? The stillborn child never has to endure all the misery and pain and suffering on this world. Best of all, the child is the first to die and therefore the first to find its eternal rest. As a parent, and if you're a parent in here, I know you agree with me when I say this. As a parent, one of my greatest fears is the possibility of losing a child. Like, it's, 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 it's devastating. Um, as a pastor, I've had to walk with couples in our church have struggled in this area. It's hard, right? But, but what the preacher is talking about here, you know, in verse 4 or 5, has given some comfort and consolation to parents who have suffered the unbearing and painful loss of an infant. And so as the preacher considers this reality, he's almost, it's just weird, he's almost tempted to envy. Um, Derek Kidner says this, if this life is all and offers to some people frustration rather than fulfillment, leaving them nothing to pass on to those who depend on them, If further, all alike are waiting their turn to be deleted, then some indeed can envy the stillborn whose turn comes first. These stories, these scenarios are obviously not real. They are hypothetical stories and situations to argue. Right? The preacher wants to argue that having the things you dream of will not necessarily make your um, life happy, will not necessarily make you satisfied. A person can have everything that life has to offer and still be miserable. In 2016, Time Magazine published an article titled here's how winning the lottery makes you miserable. The article looks at the lives of several lottery winners and reports that many of them experienced the so-called curse of the lottery. In the article, Don McKay, who's a financial consultant to lottery winners and the author of Life Lessons from the Lottery, has this to say. So many of them, lottery winners, Um, wind up unhappy or wind up broke. People have had terrible things happen. People commit suicide. People run through their money. Easy comes, easy goes. They go through divorce or people die. One lottery when I said, I wish that I had torn the ticket up. Another said, my life was hijacked by the lottery. And so, you know, some of us sit here and go, man, I wish (laughs) I could have more. I wish I could have this. And the reason why we desire those things, whatever it is, is because we feel that if we have them, it will make our life complete. Like when I was young and I really liked this girl and I said to her, You complete me. No, she didn't. I was was delusional. You've heard that before. Some of you have said that, or some of you are planning on saying that one day. (laughs) Don't do that. In the verses we just looked at, the preacher helped us see that satisfaction is not guaranteed even if you have everything your heart desires and even if you are considered blessed. Now, he continues to prove um, his point using the everyday scenarios of wisdom, right? What he does is he helps us see why satisfaction is not guaranteed even if we work hard and be wise. In verse 7, look at what he says. He says, all the toil of man is for his mouth yet his appetite is not satisfied. This is basic wisdom. This is true, isn't it? We all work extremely hard to put food on the table, but our appetite is never satisfied. Thanksgiving is coming up, y'all. It is coming up. And and the thing with Thanksgiving... Oh, Thanksgiving. It's great. One of my favorite holidays. Absolutely love everything about it. People coming together to be thankful. People coming together to eat really good food. We had a Friendsgiving for our community group. It was so lovely. It was so nice. And Thanksgiving for Christians, I think, is one of the intentional ways we commit the sin of gluttony. We absolutely do. It's weird. We laugh, but we do. Right, we eat a lot during Thanksgiving. Oh, two weeks ago or last week, men's—I uh, was at the men's, um, you know, the men's breakfast, and we went all out. We had bacon, eggs. You know what else did we have? We had bagels and stuff. It was lots of food, lots of vibes. I was sitting on the table with two guys, and one of the guys was on his fourths. Okay, plate-wise, one of the guys had just finished his first, and I said to him, are you going to go and get more? There's plenty of food. Eat it. We feel guilty having to throw it all away, (laughs) you know, and all of that. So he was like, no, I'm not going to go and eat more. I said, why? He said Thanksgiving is coming up. (laughs) And I know I'm going to eat so much at Thanksgiving, right? I'm just kind of creating space in my stomach. (laughs) The other guy looks at him and said... I, too, am preparing for Thanksgiving. We said, why? He said, I am training my stomach (laughs) to handle all the food I'm going to eat. This Thanksgiving, most of us will eat until we are stuffed. We'll eat so much Some of us will end up saying to ourselves, I never want to eat ever again. But what will happen? We'll wake up the next day, go in the kitchen, see the macaroni and cheese, see the turkey and the cranberry sauce, and still have an appetite to eat more. Here the preacher is saying, trying to find ultimate satisfaction in the things of this world is like trying to quench your appetite with one meal. It's like saying to yourself, one meal will satisfy my hunger so I'm never hungry again. We will always have an appetite for more. We will always have an appetite for more food, yes, more furniture, more this, more that, a new home. Oh, gosh, this is funny. Yesterday, I went, it's not funny, it's awful, and it illustrates this point really well. Yesterday, I went to, uh, we went to a, you know, a friend of ours did a Friendsgiving, and he got the nicest house my goodness, they have the nicest house. And you, most of you know our story, our current house that we're in, God totally provided it. And it's amazing. And we got some people to help us really decorate it and make it look funky and trendy and all of that. But I go to this house and I walk in and it's incredible. Like the interior decoration, the color scheme, the, the 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 simplicity of the of the furniture, and I'm just mesmerized. We eat, we leave, we go home. I walk into my house, and I'm like, "Our house sucks. <laughs> we need to develop a budget so we can get re, redecorate it." <laughs> right? And it was only like two days ago that I was like, man, God, thank you for our home. (laughs) We will always have an appetite for more. Satisfaction, true and lasting satisfaction is not guaranteed in this world. Many of you have been able to get many of the things you've always wanted You've achieved your financial goals. You've gained the careers you've always wanted. You've, been marri- you've, you know, you've married the man or woman of your dreams. Um, you're living in San Diego, <laughs> right? That is a dream. I meet people that always say, I'm like, what are you doing in San Diego? They're like, ever since I was five, I've always wanted to live in San Diego. And so it's a dream come true, right? I was thinking, we never say that about North Dakota, you know? Like, someone's like, I've always dreamed of living in North Dakota. If you're from there, I'm so sorry. Why did I just do that? Uh, Living in America's finest city. Oh, I'm in trouble. It's something, can we edit this out? It's something many of you have dreamed of. And I would say, many of you have definitely attained the many things you've always dreamed of. And so, I mean, the question is, are you truly, like, does it complete you? Have these achievements and experiences satisfied your soul in a way where you'll be content if you never had anything else? Probably not. Those things are not enough to satisfy the longing of your soul. Satisfaction is not guaranteed no matter who you are or what you have. And so the question is... Can we ever find true and lasting satisfaction? Can we ever be satisfied if is there anything or anyone in this world that can truly satisfy us let 's go to c s. Lewis to help us move forward here. He says this this is one of my favorite quotes ever he says. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And guess what? Jesus, the king, is the king of the world you was made for. That is why we will never stop pointing to Jesus as the only one that can give us true and lasting satisfaction. We were designed for more than the trivial pursuit of pleasure. Seeking satisfaction in the things of this world is like chasing after wind. As soon as you're exhausted and weary from your pursuit, you're left empty-handed and disappointed. Satisfaction may not be guaranteed in anything or anyone in this world, but listen and pray that God helps you understand this. Satisfaction is definitely guaranteed in Jesus Christ. It really is. And so, yes, we get it. Like Satisfaction is all about Jesus and in Jesus Christ. But what does it mean for us to be satisfied in Jesus? We've been going on and on about, we must be satisfied in Jesus. What does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus? Why is Jesus more satisfying than everyone or anything in this world? Why can we not be satisfied in anything else apart from Jesus Christ? What makes Jesus more satisfying than anyone or anything in this world? Why is Jesus the only one who can truly satisfy? How do you know when you are satisfied in Jesus Is it the warm and fuzzy feelings you get when you're engaged in singing worship songs? Is it the same feeling you get when you get the promotion you've been working hard for? Is it the excitement of getting the gift you've always wanted? Is being satisfied with Jesus the same satisfaction we feel after enjoying every bite of our favorite meal? Being satisfied in Jesus can sometimes produce these feelings but being satisfied in Jesus is less about feelings and I would say more about truth. In fact, a belief in what is true is what creates these emotions, these good feelings. And so, True and lasting satisfaction can only be found in Jesus because he's the promised Messiah who arrived on the scene, confronted evil, and delivered people from slavery to sin. True and lasting satisfaction can only be found in a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because his life, death, and resurrection is how God demonstrated his love for us. Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy you because he's the only one that can forgive your sins. Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy you because he is your shepherd. And because he's your shepherd, you have no lack. And because of that, he makes you lie down in green pastures. And because of that, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you. And because Jesus is the most satisfying person in the world, Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. In Jesus, we have a friend who is absolutely committed to us and who calls us to be lovingly committed to each other as well. And lasting fulfillment can be found in Jesus Because in Jesus, we have hope for the future. In Jesus, we have been given the gift of eternal life. And so, may you delight in Jesus. May you find true and lasting and genuine satisfaction in him because satisfaction is only guaranteed in him. He's the source of true Intimacy, true pleasure, and true joy. Let's pray. God, please. We are desperate for you. And our desperation for you this morning is not for you to give us the stuff or the things that we want. Yes, we have needs and you invite us to make our needs known to you. But God, our desperation for you this morning is to make your son Jesus Christ so valuable to us. We would see him as our treasure and our delight. And we would experience what it means to be satisfied in him. Help us. In his name we pray. Amen.